this morning and he's going to be sticking around today. So please get a chance to chat with him. He's one of our mission partners. We want to support him fully. Let's just pray for him now as he comes to bring God's word. Father, we thank you so much for our dear brother, Andy. Thank you for the work that he's put in preparing this. We thank you for the way that you've spoken to him already and the way that you've quickened his spirit as he's read stuff. And Lord Jesus, we pray that as he speaks now, you'd anoint him and that your Holy Spirit would speak so powerfully to each one of us, that it would go into the very soul, into our very marrow, into our very core, and that the truths that you want us to know this morning would be embedded in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Great. Right, well, should we uh, read the passage? It's in uh, Genesis chapter 1, which um, is not difficult to find because it's on page 4 of the church Bible. So let me just read that to us. It's Genesis 1, 26 to 2 verse 3, although I'm going to focus more on 1, 26 to one thirty. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Rule the, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished his work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. One of the um, probably most profound and um, important questions to answer in life is where do we come from? Now I'm not, I haven't forgotten my biology lessons and I didn't have a slight amnesia that I forgot what city I came from today. I'm talking about origins, talking about origins. People want to know where they've come from. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed, but this is evidenced by a growing number of websites. Have you seen the Ancestry websites? Uh, The TV program, Who Do You Think You Are? Anyone seen that one? People are really interested in their backgrounds. I mean, these people go on emotional journeys and uh, to discover their family history. People have been adopted, uh, sometimes go back and try and relocate their birth parents. If people have moved when their family was young, they might want to go back to their birthplace, their old school, their old house. Get that, just that sense of um, belonging, the sense of origin. Um, last Christmas, I myself uh, went on the website and uh, the 2011, sorry, the 1911, in 2011, all the census is gone from 100 years before. So I was looking at 1911 and I found out some very interesting things about my own family that even my dad didn't know. 
Uh, for example, my, fa- my real name is Rabinovich, not Atkins. Isn't that exciting? Um, I found myself strangely moved by the whole uh, thing. Origins matter to us. We want to know where we've come from because it helps shape who we are. And uh, that's why when we meet someone, we ask, where do you come from? And I'm from Brighton. And if someone says, I'm from Hove, I say, you're from Brighton. They say, no, Hove, actually. That's the posh part. So you go, ah, yes, I'm sizing them up already. Where do you come from? Because it helps us understand who you are. And um, if we know where we're from, it helps us to explain where we're going, the issue of destiny. And then that helps to explain a little bit in the middle, which is called life. But if we don't know where we've come from, and we don't know where we're going, it's really hard to figure out why we're here at all. And because of that, a lot of people feel a sort of homelessness, lostness, a life almost without meaning. And this alienation leads to depression, anxiety, almost like a cosmic restlessness because we don't know where we've come from, we don't know where we're going, and we even don't know why we're here. There was a German theologian, Helmut Thilicke, who said that human history is like a dramatic play, and there have been many acts and scenes that have gone before us. And then we are born into the world. We come onto the stage of history at our time, but we find that we have no idea what the story is. We've no idea who the heroes, who are the villains, no idea who the playwright is, when the story began, when it's going to end, what our role is and the lines that we're supposed to be saying are. We've literally lost the plot. So life ends up as one stream of confusion, confusion, perplexity, and just trying to muddle through. Well, the really good news is, um, have you started this series already? This is, just, this is the first one. Second one, okay, great. And how long is it going on for? Do you know? <laughs> 11 weeks, this is exciting. So you're going to get into the thick of Genesis. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, this is great because, as you know, Genesis is the book of beginnings. And the good news is, today we're going to read about the story that we're in. It actually gives us really clear answers to who we are, why we're here, and our role and place in the world, and where it's all going. And knowing these truths and getting them to the core of our being actually transforms our lives. It's fantastic. Because we find that, we come from God, God's the playwright, we're going to God, and the bit in the middle we call life, where we're here to be in relationship with God, relationship with other, each other, and we're to work with God on the earth. So, all of a sudden now, we're born onto the stage of history, and our life has meaning, value, purpose, and dignity. We know where we've come from, we know where we're going, we know why we're here. Isn't it exciting? These are the things we're going to talk about. So the Bible is bang up to date and relevant. If you look into your verses 26, 27, let me just read those again. Verse 26, 27. God said, let's make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and the wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And you see God the poet, God the artist, speaking life into existence. And if you look at those words, it's fantastic. 
Three times it says he created, he created, he created. Three times it says image, in his image, in his image, in his image. Isn't it absolutely wonderful that we're reading a book that says we're not here by random chance? We're not here because of the impersonal that's tried to make the personal. We're not here because of the unintelligent made the intelligent. God made us. He created us. We're his design. Isn't that fantastic? Looking around, you are God's design today. It's unbelievable. Look around you. Everybody else is God's design. It's exciting. We're made in God's image. This is the great doctrine of Imago Dei, which means the image of God. You are the image of God. Now, straight away, this means life matters because life is from God and life is for God. It means life is sacred. It changes everything. And it's so important to realize that you and me are loved and known and made by God. It's fantastic. Created, created, created in his image, in his image, in his image. And from the text today, I'm just going to bring out two really big truths. And that's what we're going to talk about. Two things we learn about ourselves this morning. And here's the first. We are image bearers. We're made to reflect the image of God. We're made to reflect the image of God. Well, let's think for a minute. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? If I asked you that question and we had 10 hands up, it'd be interesting to see what you thought. In fact, um, theologians and commentators have debated this for a very long time. What does it actually mean? What is the essence of you and me being made in the image of God? Some people say it means because we've got a mind, because we can think. And that's true for most of us, but not completely. What if somebody's an unborn child or in a coma or doesn't have full use of their mental faculties? They still have dignity, they still have value, they still have worth, and the Bible never discriminates on IQ. Well, some people think it's because we have a language. We can read and write and speak and communicate. Well, that's true, but what if you're illiterate? What if you're a person who's unable to speak? If you're a person in some sort of state where you can't communicate? Well, according to the Bible, you still have dignity, value, and worth the same as everybody else. So it can't be that. Some people say it's because God loves, we love. Because God's creative, we're creative. And that's what it means to be made in the image of God. All those things, again, are true. But I reckon that there's something even deeper. See, the image of God ultimately is not something we do or faculty that we possess. The image of God is something that we are. It's something that we are. The word actually means a stamp. It means a model. It means a template. We're made in his image. The word in the um, Greek is, is an icon. This is the wonderful truth, according to the Bible, that every single human being has dignity and value and worth. Not because they're clever, Not because they're rich, not because they're beautiful, not because of what they do or what they achieve, but because they're made. They're made in the image of God. And this, the Christian view of a person, distinguishes our understanding of human life and the sanctity of human life from all other views. Every person is inherently valuable because we're made in the image of the one who is infinitely valuable. That means human life's got to be protected, it's got to be guarded, it's got to be valued. 
And over many, many hundred years, Christianity has been at the, the front for fighting for the value of human beings and the value for life because everyone's been made in his image. This includes the born and the unborn, the healthy and the sick, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the brilliant and the simple. Why? Because we all bear God's image. We all bear God's image. Now, some of you might say to me, hang on a minute, we're before Genesis 3 here. Come on. Do we still have God's image in us? This is a bit optimistic. Well, check up Genesis 5, post-fall. I'm not looking at it in your own time. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean that in a rude way, but we haven't got time to talk about it. I'm going to give you a couple. Genesis 5, the image of God. This is a good one for anyone who wants that. James, you can look at it. Of course. James 3, verse 9. Talk, look at that. New Testament. And it's talking about how we treat other people. And it says they're made in the image of God. We still bear the image of God today. This is interesting because some of us only look at our sin. Some of us only see ourselves as sinners. And we are sinners. And we should take note of our sin. But we also need to get back to creation and realize we're image bearers. And it's an amazing privilege. And also, of course, what Jesus is ultimately doing in dealing with our sin and our sin nature and restoring in us the original image of our creator. It's fantastic. I've got a little, uh, I've got a 20 pound note here. Anyone interested in it? Jacob, don't put your hand out. That's my son. He's got too much money off his old man already. Now, this is quite a nice-looking £20 note. Now, um, what happens if I just kind of rip it a little bit? Is it still worth £20? Any offers? Yeah. What about if um, I put it in the... Anyone put money in the washing machine before? Yeah. When it comes out, can you still use it? Yeah. What about if I just screwed it up completely and stomped on it and put it in ink or something like that? Is it still worth £20? Yes or no? Anyone still want it? You're not getting it. It's just a simple thought, but the note still has value. People can be ripped apart, can't they? People can be broken. People can be screwed up. True? People can get dirty. People need washing. But you know what? There's still something of the value of the image in God in every single person. Isn't that amazing? Every person in this room and every person in this world is greatly loved by God, and they have worth and dignity and value. My kids are really into the Beatles, and uh, they love them. They're far too young. I've had to do the pilgrimage to Liverpool, and we even went around Ringo Starr's house. Now, that is the bottom of the rung, I'll tell you. Um, But I recently saw a bit of memorabilia where a very scrappy piece of paper was sold with every single one of the, the four Beatles' signatures on it. It was sold for over £100,000. A little bit of paper. A little bit of paper. But it had the mark of the Beatles on it. And suddenly, it's worth masses of money. It had been touched. It had been used just for a few seconds. And it becomes suddenly very valuable. How much more us? You might think you're ordinary. You might think you're just a piece of paper. But you know what? We've got the mark of the God of of creation on us. He's written in our lives. We have his stamp, we're models, we're image of God. And we have amazing value because we've been touched and we've been written on and his stamp is on us. It's amazing. Now this is liberating because it means that your identity comes 
from the fact you're made in the image of God. We don't need to go out and prove ourselves so that we get dignity, value, and worth. We can save ourselves a lot of trouble by reading the verses today. We don't need to gain it. Guess what? We automatically have it by virtue of being God's image bearers. Life is sacred. Life is a gift from God. We're made in the image of God. It's absolutely liberating. And we're to reflect that image of God. The theologian John Calvin said this, I believe rightly that we're like a mirror that reflects something of God into the earth. We're like a mirror. We're God-like. We're made in his image, but we're just a mirror. That's very helpful. We're like mirrors, mirroring God to other people, reflecting his image to the world. What does that mean? So, God is loving. So when we show love, we're showing a bit of what God is like. God is forgiving. So when we forgive those who sin against us, we're showing a little bit of God to the world. People get a glimpse of what God is like through the people he's made when we're operating as he created us too. It's amazing. It also transforms our view of other people. C.S. Lewis, in the, I think it's The Great Divorce, said this famous phrase where he said, you never meet an ordinary person. You've never talked to a mere mortal. Because human beings are the greatest part of God's creation. Every person on earth is going to an eternity in heaven and in hell. He said that at one point, you might even be tempted to worship one of these glorified beings. It transforms the way we treat each other. Every one of us is precious in the sight of God. And another implication, which is amazing, and we haven't got time to go into it, but these verses we read today are actually the basis of the UN's Declaration of Human Rights. Did you know that? This is where we get it from. It gives us powerful explanatory power why human beings need protecting and safeguarding. They're enshrined in there. It's an amazing story if you read it. This is world-changing stuff that we're reading. But we've got to move on because we haven't got much time. The first big truth, then, is we're made to reflect the image of God. We're image bearers. And this is the second one, and this is my only other point, is that we're made to represent the image of God. Because if you read the verses, it says he created the male and female to do what? To rule, it says, doesn't it? Let's look at 26 again. Let's make mankind in our image so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky. In verse 28, God said to them, rule over the fish of the sea. We're called to reflect God because we're made in his image. And we're called to represent God by ruling in his image. We have a leading role in creation. Doesn't that fill you with an amazing privilege? We have a leading role in creation. And it's very important for us to, to know our place. Otherwise, we'll either think of ourselves too highly as humans that we're gods, that we can rule the world and fix our problems and save ourselves, that we're wise and brilliant and powerful and talented, and we can do anything, we think we're little gods, or we think too lowly of ourselves. Like Sigmund Freud taught, we're just animals. We're feverish clots of needs. So all we can do with our lives is drugs and sex and spend money and accumulate stuff, destroy lives. We're just animals, slaves to our basic instincts and nature. So when you look at the creation, you've got God... And you've got animals. Where do we fit in? It's quite important to know, isn't it? The beautifully balanced teaching of the Bible is we're not just animals and we're not gods. 
where people made in the image of God made to rule over the animals. You could say it like this. We're under God, but we're over the animals. And the man and the woman were made to rule. I suppose I should add a quick word then about the animals. Elsie, my daughter, who's 11, wants to be a zoologist, and she's always going to the zoology museum, and she loves animals. We've got lots and lots of pets in our house. Does this mean plants and animals are not important? No. God blesses the animals. He made the animals. They should be treated well. It's a little known fact that William Wilberforce, who was the guy who got worked at the abolition of the slave trade, also was the founder of the RSPCA. Did you know that? Because he saw all God's creatures should be protected. But human life and animal life are two distinct and separate things. And human life has a dignity and a value by it because it's in God's image that animals don't have. Now again, if you lose this doctrine, you lose the balance. And we've got two views going on even in our culture. At one end, we're told that nature and animals and human beings are all sacred. Have you heard that? It's kind of collapsing creation. So that chopping down a tree or eating an animal or killing a human being are all equally evil. That's false. At the other end of the scale, you've got those who ruthlessly exploit the earth for greedy consumption, flooding the rivers with pollution, destroying species, and bringing extinction because of our own selfishness. The Bible says neither is right. The Bible teaching is neither that we worship the environment nor that we destroy the environment, but that we steward the environment. Creation is a gift given to us by God so that all human life can flourish. So what is our place? Under God, over the animals, alongside other people, stewarding creation in his image. We're called to lead all of creation in a way that praises his glory. Practically speaking, when we read the verses, what does God ask them to do? Well, he gives them a job to make culture. And the first step is making babies. Theologically, we call this the cultural mandate, which is a bit of an interesting way of in marriage classes, isn't it? Let's talk about the cultural mandate. That's a little bit odd. Um, if you see what I'm saying. But, <laughs> okay, I thought it was funny. But um, the cultural mandate, there's only two of them, remember. There's only two of them. And so they were expected to have children who would have children, who would have children, who would expand across the earth, who would represent God by ruling and serving human society and create a society where God is glorified. God is saying to them, make more image bearers. Spread out over the earth. And then culture comes in, doesn't it? Expand your knowledge base. Expand your academic understanding. Make the world a place that's good for people to live in, that's good for all human flourishing. Have you ever wondered what it is in us that wants to climb every mountain? That seems like a song, doesn't it? You know the thing, because it's there, isn't it? Where do we get the impulse? What propels us to go to the moon, to explore the depths of the sea, to map it out, to research, to inquire, to go where boldly go where no one's gone before? Where's this adventurous spirit within us that wants to explore all God's good creation? We've got a verse for it. This is God's intent, that we do culture, that we learn, we explore, we subdue, we rule, because we've been made for this purpose by God. God's saying, explore. 
And you're going to get technology, and you're going to get the sciences, and you're going to get philosophy and medicine exploration. You're going to get culture. This is what's going on. Now, culture is shorthand for all life on earth. It's the stuff we do and how we do it. It's clothes, it's language, it's food, it's music, it's entertainment, it's education, it's family, it's politics. It's how we work, where we work, who we love and how we love. It's our marriages, our families, how we entertain ourselves, how we spend our leisure time. God created us to create culture. All of life is important. Can you see how radical this is? It's not just some small compartment that's a spiritual life. God has made everything, and everything is good. In fact, everything is very good in the original. It's awesome. Why are people doing all these things? Because God told us to. In some senses, everybody's in some way obeying the cultural mandate. Sadly, as you're going to see soon in Genesis 3, we're going to sin and we're going to separate ourselves from God. But this great work of culture carries on disconnected from God. So we begin to get cultures where there's death and not cultures of life. That's what it was like then. And then if you fast forward to Revelation, you get the new heaven and the new earth, don't you? The recreation, where again, it's a place, as in the beginning we're reading, security and safety, people under God, over creation, stewarding the earth, loving one another. You've got these two wonderful pictures. And guess where we live? In the middle. Has anyone seen... um, the film Good Morning Vietnam. It's an oldie. Yeah. Do you remember when they sing that song, I Think to Myself, What a Wonderful World, yeah? And it, um, I think, I won't sing it. But you get this song, and it looks, it's beautiful. It's idyllic, you've got the sky and everything, and then it just pans round, and you've got the mayhem, and the chaos, and the bloodshed, and the violence. That's where we're living now. Because of that, gender is not respected, children are not seen as a blessing, There's no honest work, there's no viable rest, there's not sufficient worship. The world isn't put together as it should be. But we keep making culture disconnected from God. And of course, we don't just make it, but we go in the wrong direction. So is this the end of the story? And this is why I want to come and land the plane on this sermon. God has a plan, and it's a wonderful plan, and he decides that he's going to come into history as a second Adam. And when this first Adam lost, the second Adam is going to regain, and his name is Jesus Christ. He came into human history. He's the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God. Is that ringing a bell? That was us. We've lost it. Now the new image is coming in. And guess what? When we come to him and get rightly restored in relationship with him, he begins to restore the original image. The cultural mandate becomes the mandate of the church. Here's what's happened. Genesis 1, uh, sorry, Genesis 2.1, it says the earth was completed. It was finished. Do you remember what Jesus' words on the cross were? It is finished. There's a new creation coming. God finished his work of creation. We sinned. Jesus accomplished his work of a new creation. It is finished. There's nothing else to do but come in, give him our sin and receive new life, and we can enter into the good news again. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew 5, 41. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. That's him talking about us. We are a city on a hill. 
Can you see what's happening here? We're becoming a city within a city. We're becoming a culture within a culture. We've got the cultural mandate back. He's calling us again in the new Adam to reflect and represent the image of God as he restores his image through us, through his grace, as individuals and a community. Back at the beginning, I said people don't know who they are, where they've come from, where they're going. I would say the majority of us, if we've had our lives transformed by Jesus, have answers to all those three things, yeah? Isn't that amazing? We know who we are, we know where we come from, and we know where we're going. We don't need to live like animals anymore, chasing our addictions and compulsions and consumer principles. We don't need to think we're gods and think more highly than we ought. We have God's spirits in us. We are to begin to build a new kind of culture, a counterculture that multiplies the image of God, ruled by King Jesus. Have you ever thought that's what you're doing here today, sitting in Portswood Church? You're building a new culture. We're not just doing church we're doing the cultural mandate. A kingdom counterculture right here in Southampton. You're building a world and God is working through you. He began with one man and one woman and he appointed them with responsibility to reflect and represent and spread his glory and image and now he's doing it through us. What does that mean? The way we do relationships, the way we do sex, marriage, food, money, entertainment, hobbies is going to be completely different from the people around us because we've been reading the book. It's going to be different from the people who don't know God. We don't eat and drink and raise kids and spend money and do business the way people who don't know God do. We're a city within a city. We're bringing a new culture to Portswood. We're bringing a new culture to this city. And he's endowed each of us with incredible dignity, value, worth, and respect. And do you know what? He's brought different people to have different contributions Think about this. This is I'm going to close. We're a culture within a culture. And here's my final thought. The church itself is the inheritor of this cultural mandate. Have you ever thought about that? To live under him and above them together to spread his glory and fame by multiplying and reproducing his image. We're to expand his glory and his fame and reflect and represent the image of God. It's what our first parents were called to. And that's what Jesus came to establish. It's called the kingdom of God. In the end, there's going to be a new culture. At the beginning, there was the original culture. Right now, we're to be a a show home, a trailer for what there's going to be in the future. Two big truths were made to reflect the image of God. Second big truth were made to represent the image of God. Let me just pray. Lord, thank you so much for this awesome responsibility. Thank you for this amazing mandate. Thank you that we get to be a part of this. It's such a wonderful thing that you're, you're reclaiming the world for you in Christ. You're taking a people, a tribe, and every nation and every people to be under your lordship. And through us, Lord, you want us to live in a new way. We're a new anthropology. We're a new society. We're a new people. And Lord, we want to know who we are, and we want to know the place that we've got, And I pray more than anything today, Lord, that we would know our value in your sight, not just as original creations, but as recreations.
And Lord, we will know that worth and that security. And out of that overflow, Lord, we can go out and transform the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen.